0: Conversely, if I make Aliyah with Sid, am I going to up my amount You're of- You're going to
1: have seven more babies.
2: Imagine
1: <laughs> the methodology. Imagine walking to an Israeli man's like, excuse me, h- h- how many times you make love? is like um, 17 the past hour. <laughs> I make love 14,000 times a day.
3: A lot of reporting bias here. <laughs> Happy Oscar week. This is
0: Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am Mark Oppenheimer. Joined as ever by my co-hosts, Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick.
3: It's an honor just to be nominated.
0: <laughs> and Tablet Senior Writer, Liel Leibovitz. You like me. You really, really like me. Really like you. You were long listed for Best Cinematography this year, weren't you, Liel? Uh, sound editing and costume design. Three Jews this week. I mean, the three of us. Three more Jews. Three Jews of the week. Shoe designer Stuart Weitzman, owner of the... Of the red carpet.
3: Yes, he invented, he basically invented the shoe cam.
0: Yeah, like... The- he,
3: not the Manny cam, that was someone else.
0: And we'll also be joined by Jewish actor Kurt Fuller, who's one of those guys, you've just seen him in everything. He's, He's that guy. guy. He's
3: that guy. He's and that he came guy. to our show in LA, and yeah. everyone was like, that guy. That
0: guy. And then our third Jewish guest this week is film critic Jordan Hoffman, who's been with us before, who's coming back to uh, to talk Oscar stuff. And I'm going to be super articulate because I have actually been catching up on I think I've seen five, of, uh, there are eight nominated movies, and I've seen five of them this year, which is uh, maybe my highest since the 90s. I'm
1: going to be more articulate because I really, this year, I, I'm done. I'm through. I, I couldn't care less about this. Did you see any of the movies? I saw most of them. Did you? I'm just done. Okay, we got a lot to, I'm got so a lot to say. I'm so annoyed by the <laughs> Guys, stupid Oscars. Let
3: me tell you about some movies that I've been watching. Oh, my God. <laughs> Casino. Godfather 2, baby. Ben's been singing that, humming that song. At the beginning, it sounded like the Harry Potter song. Right. But he's like, that's <laughs> very different. Um, I watched Godfather 2. I am a full-fledged gangster. Yeah, I like, am impossible to deal with now. The
0: Deuce is a serious mob movie.
3: It's intense. I really liked it. I'm probably not going to watch 3, though. I'm done. Yeah, You're like, I'm done. I'm tapped out.
0: No, there's no 3. a lie. I don't think anybody has watched 3. Did I you? also
3: really like movies where I can take a nap in between the two acts because well, yep. there's a literal intermission that plays across the screen. <laughs> I
0: actually remember when they put movies in the theater, I remember Gandhi had an intermission. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liel, what's up with you? I had an emotional week. So um,
1: as as you know, but I don't think our listeners do, my grandmother passed away. and I've been spending a lot of time in Israel, uh, sitting Shiva and now back for the shloshim, And I had this really kind of incredibly warm moment in realization. We're sitting there, um, the entire family getting together, reminiscing. And, you know, some of them are Gore chasids with their kind of socks in their pants and or pants in their socks some of them are litvish yeshivish like arguing about some point of jewish law some of them are totally secular some of them are dot comish some of them are dot comish some of them are knitted yarmulkes really people who believe in everything and you know you have this thing mark that you say like really the best metaphor that you could think about jewish people as a family and i looked at this family it's like oh my god look at that no one's, no one's arguing. No one's trying to exclude anyone. No one's saying, oh, well, you know, but you are this kind of Jew as opposed to that kind of Jew, religious versus secular, left versus right, Sephardi, Mizrahi. Like, all these distinctions truly didn't exist. And it made me very hopeful. And it also
0: made me hope that maybe that's a little bit of what we're doing right here. I hope so. And we then sh- We should say Shloshim is the, the conclusion of the 30 days it after is. the death. And so there's a, another kind of ceremony. Yes. And then I boarded the Al flight today. And I really want to tell you about it because it was... Single-handedly, the most
1: inspiring thing I have ever seen in my life.
3: You, your your optimism is just oh no no really no no. Profound.
1: Wait until you listen to this. I thought my moment was warm and fuzzy. Wait until you get a load of this. There was a uh, I don't know what what the the, the plural noun is a, a gaggle of um young f- Jewish French girls. Uh, they were probably eleven to thirteen um in age. It's uh, called a, a juivette. A, a of, juivette of young Jewish French girls. <laughs> uh, mais oui. A uh, croissant of <laughs> uh, young jewesses. Uh, uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, they were unaccompanied or seemed unaccompanied, and they got on the plane. And at first I thought, oh, this is just going to be like a little rowdy because they were very loud and they were very happy to be there. But very soon, you're realizing, Stephanie, pay attention because this actually has more to do with the Godfather part two than you may think. Pretty soon, I realized they were playing a very different game. For starters, they wanted to sit together. And their, you know, the flight was full. They told three different people. It's like, oh, would you switch with us, please, s'il vous plaît? And you know, people and I said, oh, sure, yeah, okay. And they sent all the people, all all three people, to one seat that, that they didn't even have. Like, oh, I'm in seat 65H. And the <laughs> per- person's like, okay, so three people are standing by seat 65H or whatever it was. And there's a dude there being like, No, that's my seat. Like, I didn't agree to switch seats. (laughs) So the stewardess runs back to the row where they're all now sitting together, and they're pretending to be asleep. (laughs) She's like, wake up. You have to leave. It's like, what? What? uh, No, no. Parlez anglais. So then people got (laughs) really, really mad. On Did they have seats? They had seats. They just didn't like their seats. So then they got mad that they were unseated, and it was complete war. There was a really sweet Roman Catholic priest on the flight, and he was kind of like saying, would you please be a little bit more quiet? This girl takes out her gum and puts it in his hair. <gasps> what? It was amazing. Mais non. <laughs> Another girl, like, someone said something to her. She took, like, her Diet Coke and went, like, whoosh, spilled it on the person sitting are next you to her. It.
3: kidding me?
0: It, these are gangsters. young Jewesses. I was like, the
3: sequel to Madeline was, like, we, were, we were waiting for. <laughs> for <laughs> two seconds. What happens
0: when you're raised in a convent? Listen, and then I was so
1: proud. I can't tell you how much I love, love, love these girls. Like, they're talking about anti-Semitism in France. Like, I would hate to be the ISIS recruit who (laughs) fucks around with these 11-year-old Jewish girls because they are ruthless.
3: But it confirms oh, my I theory so that much. teens are the scariest people in the entire oh, world, specifically teenage girls. Wow! So it they, was like Con
1: Air. It was like being in Con Air with eleven-year-old French girl. Think girls. of the
0: level of planning and malevolence combined. Right? We want. We're just going to make up a seat and send all the people. Unstoppable. And and consequences be damned. I like love Those people it. will just be. Also, seedless.
3: like that, we aren't all in this like plastic, you know, metal tunnel for for um, twelve and a half yeah, hours. Right? But I can if get away was with shooting this. them
1: dirty looks. And at some point, one girl who's clearly kind of the ringleader walked by me. Her I name is Yvette. Uh, her name is Celest. Celest. And it's At some point I just I just looked at her I was like,
4: yeah.
1: yeah. she's like,
3: shut your effing face. She's right.
0: like, I am the captain now. <laughs> she'll, Look at me. She'll be training dolphins for the Mossad. <laughs> I mean, they Israel needs her, right? So wow. if you're listening, uh young Jewish, oh my, God. I love you. That's, that's amazing. That's not terrifying. where I thought that
1: story was. No, going. I know, actually, right? I, and was, I had all this warm feeling I thought feeling. It was going
0: actually to a beautiful place. I know, in my heart, it's like, oh, <laughs> all Jews are family and brothers, and then a little news of the Jews, perhaps a little Oscar week news of the Jews. Fox News apparently declined to run a 32nd spot, an advertisement that doubled as both uh, an ad for the documentary A Night at the Garden about the 1939 Nazi rally in New York City, which drew like 20,000 people to Madison Square Garden. But it also was as an ad kind of a warning about the dangers of fascism. And apparently Fox News didn't think that its viewers would appreciate being warned about that. So they rejected that ad. But the point is, uh, I hear great things about this movie, Night at the Garden. And people.
1: by the way, considering the way the Knicks have been playing lately, 20,000 Nazis <laughs> in Madison Square Garden. Amazing. Far from the worst thing to have happened
0: there. <laughs> or Madison the Square the most garden. offensive. Yeah.
3: And the most people that have been to the Garden that's probably right. since then. <laughs> and they were super
0: well behaved as the other... Post right. Porzingis. Um,
3: <laughs> that's what we need again. More on-screen
0: Jews. Uh, Jonah Hill. What's the story there, Stephanie? Oh,
3: this is my favorite thing in the entire world. Jonah Hill is now directing, right? hes He, he did his whole big movie. He's like, he's in this, this next phase of his career. He shut down Zaybars to film a Vampire Weekend music video. The head of, you know, whatever, the lead of Vampire Weekend is Ezra Koenig, a nice Jewish boy went to Columbia, whatever. They don't, sh- they don't actually shut down Zaybars. They film a music video while, with the guys like performing behind the, like, the locks counters while Zaybars is still open. So now, so this all comes to us courtesy from Gothamist, who wrote the, an article with the headline, shoppers kvetch while Jonah Hill directs Vampire Weekend music video at Zabar's in peak Upper West Side moment. And I'm like, yeah, shoppers kvetch. Because there's a band playing, doing a music video while they're like trying to get, trying get buy fish. Their, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like as, awesome. if, as if Zaybars isn't crazy enough. It's
0: yeah. a little anti-Semitic, a shopper's cavat. Those Jews yeah. whining when their Zaybars' experience gets interrupted. Like, yeah. Jews angry again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the screen Jewish news of the Jews items just kept coming because Schindler's List in the news in Australia, there was this diner down there that was one of those places that named many of their dishes after movies. They had all those themed names. So there was like the Pulp Fiction burger and there was like the Terminator egg cream and whatever. And they named the fries after Schindler's List. There were Schindler's List fries that you could buy for $15 an order. And then some Jewish people complained uh, that the store called the Ark at Nobby's, um, was making light of the Holocaust because they named something after Schindler's List. I got to tell you, Mark, we make fun
1: of Holocaust-related things a lot. I really don't think the story is funny. No, I I think it's very upsetting. Fifteen dollars for fries. (laughs) I mean, really, really. Number one, number two. Why do we get the side order? (laughs) Why can't it be like Schindler's Schnitzel? You know, like something upbeat,
0: something serious, right? Like a main fucking course. Haven't we suffered enough? My
3: big offense here is that they're called like Schindler's List fries. Like, give me something better. Give me a better pun. Our Australian art director Esther thought that maybe they're called Schindler's chips because it, it's Australia but I don't think that that's much better not no, so good no 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 I just feel like why can't
0: you name fries after Schindler's List it was an Oscar winning movie I don't feel like we're required to always right. be lugubrious whenever Schindler's or List is serious. mentioned you know
3: it's like come and fries on. are delicious I'm Who like in fries? The mood for like a good waffle fry right now We have an amazing guest this week. We are here with Stuart Weitzman. He is the founder of Stuart Weitzman, the iconic international shoe company, and he is one of America's most beloved shoe designers. Welcome, Rabbi Weitzman.
4: That's a a nice introduction. You should have been on my PR team when I was running the company.
3: I am now. (laughs) I have
1: to tell you. Before we go anywhere else, yeah. it is, we, we were talking about this before. It, it is sort of astonishing that there's like a person, Stuart Weitzman, because you think it's like such an iconic brand, like
4: the Gucci's or Fendi's of this world. And here you are in person. Well, I, you know, th- the trend is we are behind what we do. I, when I decided what brand name to use, it just seemed natural to use my name. They wanted something I, that
0: sounded all American
4: I, I, and classic, like uh, Stuart Weitzman. No, I think they want someone behind the product. And if you're there, it helps. And it worked for me.
3: So you come from a a shoemaking family, right? Seymour Shoes, that's your father?
4: My dad had a shoe company. He worked for other people for many years. And he opened his own factory with my brother. I never really got to work much with my father. He passed away just as I got out of college. And I didn't really... Have my eyes set on the shoe business?
3: Yeah, you were at Wharton, right? Yeah, go into I was the... going
4: to, you know, break the bank on Wall Street and all that. Uh, fortunately, I uh, I ended up sketching some shoes, and someone loved them. And I saw one in the window of I Miller. You wouldn't know I Miller; you're too young to know it. But you know the Bulgari store on Fifty Seventh and Fifth, and that's mm-hmm. where I Miller was. And my shoe was in the window. As you know, I was a college kid, and it's kind of exciting to see that women are buying something you made actually they had placed a reorder on that shoe it had sold out so uh, that was it i said i'm i'm going to try this game tell
1: us about it what what was the inspiration for that first shoe what do you what do you draw to come kind of up with something that's sexy and pretty and well, trendy well my, my
4: father was making um and i think the the era was of dressy shoes then the sneaker world hadn't happened boots were only utilitarian and pumps and other sexy kind of cuts were what women were buying. So I followed his lead and I made this beautiful pump with a five pedal bow where I alternated snakeskin and leather. The shoe was leather and the bow had that texture to mix it up. And it really was a winner. We called it the puff because the bow was very puffy. Uh, I gave names to every shoe I ever designed. By the way, they're like children. You know, you're not going to, how could I name my second daughter 11 or something like that? (laughs) So I didn't name my shoe 11 either. Um, And that started me off.
0: And you said that you sketched it out. Do you still draw your shoes? You, you actually draw them? Well, I them don't on...
4: sketch shoes anymore because I've retired from the well, shoe industry. But to the end, I meant, did you? Oh, of course, I was my main designer. Uh, usually a successful company over time is, retains that ongoing success because someone involved personally in the business is the creator. And if I weren't, for example, and I lost my top designer... Well, the look of the shoes would change. We would fumble around till we found someone else. Uh, most of the great companies that built up an ongoing business did so because the owner or, or someone else rel, uh, related in the business was the creator.
1: Is there a particular kind of like artistic, inspirational quality to designing great shoes than there is to designing great dresses? Is, is, is it a different kind of kind of genius? That We're you all thinking
4: about one thing. The woman. She has always been my inspiration. Sometimes well, I do a lot of teaching now at schools and try to teach them some entrepreneurship, which they really don't learn in classrooms. And I, I tell them when they ask me who was my mentor, I never sought out mentors. I sought out muses. And ladies like you, for example, oh. um, who is a career woman, I would think about you and design shoes that I, th- I believed you would want. And I would think about Marilyn Monroe. She was my first muse um, and uh, design shoes for that kind of woman. You know, there, there certainly are lots of shoes that uh, enter the room before the lady does.
3: But you've And had are some, still there,
4: by the way, after she of left. Of course, but you've had <laughs> some high-profile <laughs> ladies walking in your shoes,
3: right? You had Kate Moss, Gigi Hadid, Kendall Jenner's now the face. How important are, are the women once you have the shoes done?
4: Well, you know, America loves celebrities. And that was my niche. That's how I started the company. I sought out the celebrity trade, even before I had a manufacturing process going. So I set up this kind of... Um, Boutique little factory where I could make custom pairs of shoes. And that launched my business. And it gave a perception, first, that we were bigger and more important than we were starting out because these people were giving us such press. And women like to follow those kinds of leaders for some some reason. Who were some of the early celebrities? The first one was... We would call Barbara Walters in the days when she was interviewing Henry Kissinger, etc. Because you'd see
3: those shoes on camera. Yeah,
4: yeah. Well, Barbara Walters called up my office when I had just started the company and I had this wonderful bridal shoe. Uh, I hated the bridal shoes I saw at weddings. They're like acetate satin you know they kind of glow in the dark and you could yeah.
3: dye them any color <laughs> yeah,
4: they were awful and and women would really hide them by with long gowns so i guess they didn't pay much attention to their footwear and i made a beautiful lace bridal shoe that that won my first award for me as accessory of the bridal industry and barbara walters called up i didn't know it was barbara walters but my secretary said there's a lady on the phone she says she's barbara walters she wants to talk to you I said, Barbara Walters, like, you know, Henry Kissinger, Barbara Walters. And it turned out that it was her. And she, I said, hello, this is Stuart Weitzman. And she said, is this really Stuart Weitzman? (laughs) And I said, who is this? And she said, Barbara Walters. And I plagiarized her line. Is this really Barbara (laughs) Walters? And I thought immediately, oh, these celebrities, they want everything for free. She didn't. She actually loved that shoe that I told you I won my award for and couldn't find it in the colors she wanted and wondered if I would make it for her and she'd be glad to pay for it, which I did. She was an eight quad A. What does Girls that mean? today don't know what a quad A is because the fitting elements of shoes have changed and no one seems to want to invest in inventory. What's a quad A? Quad A is four widths narrower than the normal width.
3: Yeah, I have narrow feet and it's hard for me to find shoes.
4: They're not really made anymore. I always made them. Um, But we were one of the, maybe the only one in fashion shoes still making widths. So then the medium width or the European width, which is a little wider, we call it wide, that's about it. And then the AA has kind of disappeared. Of course, the AAA and the quad A, which she was, it was almost as if Let's say you took your pinky toe off your foot. That's how narrow her foot was. Wow. So she was the first celebrity. But the first one who had impact for me was Aretha Franklin. And that was how I launched my company, thanks to her. Did she call too? I called her stylist. And I said, I'm starting this new business. I had worked with a company for a few years, an American stock exchange company. I think that became the NASDAQ, may have been the predecessor. What year is this now? This was uh, 77, no, I'm sorry, 77 when I was with this company, but in 1983, uh, I was in my own business, and I called up the stylist that I knew from the previous job I had, I said, I'm setting up this special business for custom-made shoes for celebrities, in case you have any clients, I can make something to go with a dress or in their special color, and no one was doing that. Celebrities were... They were getting shoes from stores or from showrooms that a hundred others could have. And uh, they didn't pay much attention to the shoe, just like that bride didn't either. And I, I asked for her dress. She said, this fellow said, I'm going to be representing Aretha Franklin. I said, if you send me a picture of the dress, I'll make some sketches and you pick one out and I'll make you the shoe. And I did. And you know what happened? This is unbelievable.
1: Everybody wanted it.
4: No, it was more than that what happened. I said to him, you know, the interviewers don't ask about the shoes. Whose dress are you wearing? Whose jewelry is that? Who did your hair? And they stop. I said, if Aretha Franklin could be so kind as to just say, by the way, my shoes are by Stuart Weitzman, that would be the way you could thank me. He said, I don't know. I'll see what I can do. (laughs) She got on the stage. She's got my shoes in her right hand.
3: (laughs) Better than on her feet. More visible.
4: With the label out. So you could (laughs) see it says Stuart Weitzman. And she said, my smile. Is not just because of having won these. My feet don't hurt. Thank you, Stuart Weitzman. That's
3: amazing. amazing. Every B-E-C-T stylist
4: in America W-E-I called you the next day. To,
3: so, so now today right. we have like now with the red carpet. It's like, what are you wearing and who are your shoes? The shoe cam. So, were you really, really instrumental in that, right?
4: The million dollar sandal.
3: Will you tell us about that?
4: Well, what happened was year after year, we'd get these credits or they get these celebrities to wear our shoes and the interviewers on the red carpet wouldn't ask about it. They would stop at the dress and generally the shoe was covered anyway. And I said one year with uh, our whole team, including my wife and our, our, our head of PR, we need to do something to make sure that the interviewers ask these celebrities about their shoes because we're wasting our time. It's it's only we here in the company who know what's going on. And someone said, why don't we make just like a super expensive shoe? And I had a friend or an acquaintance who was in the diamond business, uh-huh. the Quiat family, and they own Fred Layton also and now. and uh, And I called them up and I suggested this kind of co-sponsor thing where I'd give them credit if they would give me a million dollars worth of diamonds. <laughs> you know, he did, th- that interview didn't last long. I had to call up the father and said, "No, no, no, really this you can get a lot out of it and and at the end maybe I'll, you know, I'll give them back to you." And they helped me Uh, They executed a design I created in real diamonds, 464 of them. And then who wore it? And it was worn by the star of Mulholland Drive. Now, this was important. Had to be someone going to the Oscars. And unless you've won before or you're in the Academy, you only go if you're in a movie that's nominated. And she was Naomi Watts' co-star in Mulholland Drive, a David Lynch-nominated film. It doesn't matter that Naomi became the superstar. Because it was the moment that counted. It was the shoes. And Laura wore them, and she was like a princess. She knew that shoe could...
3: And everyone asked her about them.
4: 400 newspapers had it on the front page. 400 million people heard Joan Rivers... Cut off Angelina <laughs> Jolie, which you don't do, and she just cut off her in the middle. She saw Laura. Laura, get over here. Everyone <laughs> wants to see that Stuart Weitzman million-dollar so sandal. So
3: it's basically like good shoes, but also incredible marketing, right? There's like a yeah, savvy there. That was
4: the tipping point of the company. Everyone knew who I we were. Stop
3: so $30 your, sneakers. What's your favorite shoe you've designed?
4: I guess it's the 5050 boot. Yeah, that's a classic. It's, it's, it's leather on the so front stretchy us. in the back. Um, you know, that's, that changed the shoe industry. There was a
3: year when everyone I knew was wearing that boot.
4: Yeah, and then it became the thigh-high boot after that, thanks to Kate Moss's beautiful legs in them.
3: So who do you know who will be wearing your shoes or how many people? How many women this year at the Oscars?
4: We know how many stylists have selected them for their actresses, but you know? These ladies, maybe you can explain this because you're the only gal here in the room. Why, if they feel pink for a whole month, get pink clothes, pink dresses, pink, they get diamonds that go with, you know, maybe rose diamonds. And all of a sudden the night, the day before the Oscars, they decide they think yellow and we lose our shoe. Oh, and they have to change it. With to the some, other outfit. And we don't have a yellow on hand. So we don't know who's going to wear it, but we are happy that many, many. So do you watch,
3: it. waiting to see?
4: No, I just watch the Oscars because it's fun. <laughs> but of course I count. <laughs> One last question
1: because we really have to go. Who would Goodbye. You most <laughs> love to see wear your shoe who has not yet been uh, you know, graced to pairs toward Weissman's.
4: The only woman that I wish I had the chance to put in our shoes was Marilyn Monroe. But there's no one else today who hasn't worn it, so I can't give you a current name. But she would have been fabulous in them. Well.
3: Stuart Weitzman, thank you so much for being here. I have had a good time. An iconic shoe designer in our our humble studios. In our humble studios. It's so nice to meet you and chat with you. Nice to meet you, too. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. We have a special treat this week. Jordan Hoffman is back in the studio with us to talk Oscars. He's a writer and film critic living in New York. He writes for The Guardian, Times of Israel, Vanity Fair, AM New York, and TV Guide. He has been, this is his fourth visit to unorthodox i think that's a record and we, any
0: we are so well, honored alec baldwin's been here six times yes right? yes uh, yeah
3: he gets the jacket jordan right.
0: do yeah. you still care
1: about
5: the oscars i for real come on no i don't care i never cared it's silly it's ridiculous <laughs> but i find it amusing and this year i mean uh i want to preface by saying the movies are still great and it's easier easier now than ever to watch good movies in your home what with the Amazon and the Netflix and we'll all that. We'll get to that. the
1: movies in a sec. This yeah. is a show.
5: This is a 4-hour long awards show. 4 hours couldn't, ago. couldn't even get a host. <laughs> that's really? one of the, that's one of this year's issues for people who maybe haven't been following the absurdity of of this ridiculous pageant. This Oscars has been a bigger boondoggle than any other Oscars thus far and it hasn't even started yet. Why are these Oscars different from all other Oscars? There have been <laughs> Thus far, three screw-ups, and the show hasn't started yet. No. And they
3: haven't even announced La La Land.
5: Right. They haven't even done that. So um, what happened or this Adele year- Adel Nazim. Nazeem. Adele happened, What happened was, uh, number one, uh, a couple of months ago, they said, oh, crap. You know, we, we always give these awards to movies that are, you know, that the people, the, the general mass public, don't actually see and don't actually care for. So they decided- We're going to create a new category called the best popular picture. (laughs) And that way the masses will tune into our show where the ratings are plummeting every year and everybody will be happy. And of course... People said, no, that's ridiculous, because whoever wins that award is going to be like, oh, I won the dummy prize, right? right? I mean, let's be honest. And and uh, so they had that, to retract that. like affirmative
1: that. action Oscar. Well, it, in that. this particular case, it would be. It really would be, because it was Black Panther. It
5: was made for Black Panther. The movie, Which is an
1: amazing movie. And ama- by far, I think, the best movie. Well, amazing
5: is, movie. is perhaps overstating it. It is certainly an energetic motion picture. I'll give it that. <laughs> uh, it is, uh, the movie Black Panther made nine gazillion dollars. You know, domestic plus foreign. And, um, and it's good for an action superhero movie Uh, but also it certainly struck a chord with the african-american community with parents who want to take their kids to see a black character on screen and all the sort of heroic Blah blah blah. So I understand that it has some resonance for and that audience. People
1: who enjoy m- movies in which shit happens. Yeah, there's a as lot of say, well, Roma. The, listen, which made zero dollars the box office. Well, Precisely it didn't dollars.
5: play at the, the box office. Roma was a Netflix premiere. We're getting to Roma, but uh, Black Panther is good. But at the end, they are still flying around, flying trains at the end, and smacking each other in the head. It that's gets right. a, gets a little tedious. Um, so anyway, they said, "Shit, we got to give something to Black Panther. We're going to look like dummies and racists. So they said, "We're going to create the popular Oscar," and then no, that makes it worse you morons. You're giving it the the, the 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 secondary price. So they nixed that. Then they said, okay, we got to announce who's going to host our show. Who's this year's Bob Hope? Who's this year's Billy Crystal? I said, you know who kills it at the box office and everybody loves is this Kevin Hart. This Kevin Hart's a lot of fun. You know who Kevin Hart is, right? Sure. Four foot two guy, very entertaining. And um, they hired Kevin Hart and then happened to be someone uh, who I work with at The Guardian. Said, you know, have I ever, ever listened to some of Kevin Hart's comedy? The guys pr- make some pretty d- derogatory anti-gay jokes, for example, and then you can go to YouTube and watch a whole list of him saying some pretty heinous things. And Canadian the Oscars
1: says offensive stuff, right? Film at eleven.
5: But the Oscars, <laughs> the Oscars are, you know, uh, they're varying, you know, they, they, they. They sort of hold uh, inclusivity as a, as a high value. There are a lot of gay people in the movie business. A
1: night of vanity and virtue signaling. Uh, correct.
5: <laughs> well, yes, but also there are a lot of gay people in the movie business who don't maybe like this guy so much. So the Oscars said, Kevin Hart, you gotta apologize because you know uh, half of our half of our unions are filled with with gay people. Uh, the craftsmen, you know, the the wardrobe department, you know, everything. So Kevin Hart didn't do it. He's like, go screw. I'm not apologizing. So then they went on. Oh, I don't boy. need your I don't need your twelve dollars to no. host this night like I've so, actually so, stay uh, home and count my money from so my Netflix they, specials. So they lost him. And so now they have no uh uh host. Literally no one but no one agreed to take it away. on. What that mean well it has happened in the past. There have been no hosts, uh, you gotta go back to nineteen sixty two or whatever, but uh, I don't really know. There's going to be like a voice of God. Wait, well, Did they try to get anyone else? I mean, no, wait, they just panicked and they like said, Billy f- Crystal wouldn't do no, it. Well, Doogie well, Hauser wouldn't do right, it. I'll, I'll let you know. So some of the other, Mr. Appro- Keaton from family ties, some of the other it. appropriate people that you might think would be someone like Stephen Colbert. Everybody loves Stephen Colbert and he can do it. Stephen Colbert is CBS's guy. The Oscars are on ABC. Uh, Can't cross the streams. What has ABC got? James Corden or something like that? They've got Jimmy Kimmel and he's not good enough. Then the other thing was I said our show is too long. We got to cut it. So rather than cutting the stupid stuff where they go to like if you remember last year they went to another theater and shot t-shirts out of a cannon. It was a ridiculous time waster. Rather than nixing that they said we're just not going to show oh best cinematography and best editing which are the two categories that differentiate film from every other art form under the sun. It's the one night of the year where people actually care about editors and cinematographers. What an insult. Not going to show any prize well, they uh, won, won by Jews. They won. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'd be they, great. They walked that back also because the cinematographers union was like, what the hell? This is right. our night. Yeah, How's like, it has been? Try making a movie without us. Yeah. it is." Mean, who, who runs the Academy? It's just a bunch of like monkeys and bellhops. What inside? it is is they they are, it is a, de- a thing that's declining every year. Obviously, because the show's a little bit boring. And they don't declining know what they're doing in the way that, like, your grandpa's <laughs>
1: declining past like ninety-seven. It is a little <laughs> bit of
5: a decrepit thing, and they tried, as you can see, they made three attempts to modernize and failed at all of them, and they walked back all these changes. So it's going to be the same old night. Now, as per th- for the Jewish people, yeah. which I understand is a topic. Let's to get to the important stuff. Oh a, to- yeah. a topic that is Talk relevant on us. this program. Uh, as many an anti-Semite will tell you, the Jews run Hollywood, right. which is a great thing. It's a great thing to run. Um, but this year's Academy Awards is an anomaly. There are very few Jews in any capacity on this show. It is practically Judenrein, as they say. There you have it. So Now, why is that? I don't really know. But what's interesting is not only is Rachel Weisz the only notable Jew nominated in an acting category, there are two actors, both of whom are very talented, who are nominated for awards for playing Jews, and neither of them Jewish. Is this this Ruth Bader Ginsburg? (laughs) That's right. I, uh, is that one of them? No, oh. no, she wasn't nominated. No, no. What it is it? I it's a, an
1: Adam, actor playing. With I a, meant it's the actress. Ruth Bader <laughs> no, no in Black Panther. <laughs> right. wait, wait, so who she who was Eric
5: Killmonger? The Very two, few people, the know two that. people are Adam Driver in the motion picture right. Black He's Klansman. Practically Jewish. Yeah, he basically is. And he's Practically, he's Jewish. he's from like Arkansas. I he's know, know but there are Jews everywhere. So many
0: people think he's Jewish, <laughs> but I hear you. He's
5: he is ethnically ambiguous. Yes, but he is not. He's never been to Seder. He doesn't know from Judaism. I've great about that role in a second it's a very it's a it's a good movie it's not a great movie it's a pretty B plus yeah now the other one is actually my pick for best actress she's not going to win it's Melissa McCarthy plays a Jew now you're going to say Melissa McCarthy is the most Irish she's not Jewish at all but she's playing a real character the character is a movie called uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me which is a small movie which I absolutely recommend it's not out on streaming yet you listeners give it a few weeks it'll show up on Netflix and Amazon and Can You Ever Forgive Me is a brilliant movie it's one of the best movies of the year and uh, melissa mccarthy plays a real life woman she's now deceased uh, by the name of lee israel and she was a yes. writer on the upper west side of manhattan who was a big mess she was her apartment was a disaster she Pats. was on the literary of- lot, you saw the movie
3: I'm, I'm I'm on team cat. All By, the,
0: right. way, <laughs> cat so By cats, the way, Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody, the way you know, I don't know if you saw it, the way you know that Freddie Mercury is
5: kind of declining. is
0: cats. cats. Once yeah. you get cats, you're basically de- it's, mentally it's deficient. It's true. I have a, yeah. I have a
5: cat and it's a problem. So <laughs> um, uh, the thing is, this, so Lee Israel is an Upper West Side, kind of a disaster case of a writer. The producers said, listen, we got Melissa McCarthy. She's incredibly talented. She's going to kill this role. What do we do? Do we have her Jew it up? Or do we have her just play a woman named Lee Israel who's writing a book on Fanny Bryce <laughs> on the Upper West Side and just, ding, hope, ding, ding, and ding. just hope nobody notices? <laughs> and, what was, think, the right and what they did was, I think, ultimately the right thing. Her name is Lee Israel. She says the word schlep once. Ah, I had a uh-huh. schlep all the way down uh-huh. here. The little but, stars of David above right. the street go, bing, yeah. bing, 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 bing. But other than that, it's a fascinating thing. Other than that, there's really no... Like somebody who's not really tuned in to, to Jewish Clues... They don't give her any. No. New York.
3: Does she go to Zabar's? Flavor. Oh, uh, they all. do go to
5: Zabar's. They
0: do. Okay. They do.
3: They get bread at Zabar's. Is,
5: is Jonah Hill directing a movie?
3: There? <laughs> <laughs> so Vampire where weekend is so, playing? Do you
5: actually think that's a good way to handle it? It so, sounds yes. like they made her less
3: Jewish than they she did. probably they was did. in what real they life. They
5: did. What they did was they had a big fat meeting. They sat down and said, "What do we do? We got Melissa McCarthy. She is the best. Why didn't they sp- just tell her go learn Jew? Yeah. No. That, yeah. that's yeah, it's that's, called acting. That's what called. No. pretend that what pay to, to be a Jew? Jew. No, just do it because it will be phony.
0: No, not. At, I think she you got to see the I movie. Mean, she's not
5: really Lee Israel
0: Look. either. She could <laughs> no, but it Saint would be. Price.
5: You got to see the movie. Is she's the, the point cast Rachel Brosnahan would have fucking nailed <laughs> She's not <it>. Jewish <laughs> either. I
0: know, but she's but she makes an attempt to play Jew. I is think is she will
5: point. be doing Jew face. I think Melissa McCarthy has a that's certain has a certain toolkit. You are so woke. I, uh, no, no. I think that she has we a let certain people do Jew face. I think that she has a certain toolkit, Melissa McCarthy, and she probably couldn't do it. If this movie, if this was twenty five years ago, Barbara Streisand would have won the Oscar for this role. She would have been perfect. If, but she would have had to live in an ugly. How a, do you feel about also
3: al- have been in the stars? Stars born. Right. <laughs> <No, that's laughs> so guy.
5: the <laughs> point is this, though. Other ethnic groups. I feel I'm going to. Br- cycle this around and tell everybody why the Jews are great. Other ethnic groups would there be marching in the street saying you have a non blah 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 playing a blah blah blah. How right. dare you? The blah blah blah
0: lobby is strong.
5: And I would say, watch this movie. Melissa McCarthy's not Jewish and she's not pretending to be Jewish. She's just playing a character. Listen, not every Jew you meet is a big shouty Jew. Some of them are- but I bet down Lee Israel as you described her she was, she her, was, the was a of big Jews. shouty Jew. She was a big shouty Jew. So they changed it. They said, look, this is the script. This is Melissa McCarthy's willing to be in our low budget film. We got to we got to either have her do it in Jewface or not, and they chose not to. And I think maybe you disagree when you see the movie. I think they made the right choice. So, you know what it's like. It's I don't like, like in awesome Pri- movie club. you know that movie yeah. Prime
3: where Uma Thurman is dating Brian Greenberg, right. and her and Brian Greenberg's is Uma mother is Uma Thurman's therapist. She it's like Meryl Streep playing Jew, and it is so upsetting because she's like. Uh, I have the white wa- red wine in the fridge. Like, she, like, does this. Uh, like, she eats, like, a chopped liver sandwich. And you're like, you're like, if, this is offensive.
0: Well, it's what I call the Robbie Benson problem. When I was about 11, I read The Chosen by Chaim Potok. It was – my dad handed it to me. said, you'd like this book. And my parents weren't big book recommenders. Like, they let me kind of find my own way literarily. But my dad pulled it off and said, you know, you're a really good reader. You seem to be a smart ki- – you seem not to be a stupid kid. Right. Try Not this like book. your brothers he, and sisters who are right, morons. Right. Like the one we'll send to college. So <laughs> – he handed me the and I was like, wow, good. And then, you know, a week or two later, I get on my bike and I pedal up to Video Galaxy 13. Uh, and uh remember when when movie shops had sequel yes, names? Yes. And <laughs> I see that there's a film version of it with Robbie Benson. Now, I don't yeah. know if Robbie Benson was Jewish or not, but he certainly wasn't um Brooklyn, deep Brooklyn. He, he wasn't Jewish. And Jonah he played Hill. the Hasid yeah. in that movie. He didn't play the modern Orthodox kid, he played the Hasid, right? And he he talks like this. It's this weird, like br- like overly salivated. It yeah. was disgu- It was basically <laughs> like Jews are like people whose salivary glands don't work. They're smelly. They have like, hey. they. it was the worst <laughs> Jew face ever. And I've always been, and as an 11 year old whose Jewish consciousness was somewhat underdeveloped, I still sensed this is wrong. <laughs> now that said, <laughs> yeah. when you make a good faith effort and you're doing the job uh, uh, that actors are supposed to do a Rachel Brosnahan type job, and we yeah. can find many others and you pull it off. That's, Acting. By the way, right.
3: do you know what Wikipedia says is Robbie Benson's real name?
5: Uh oh, Shmuel
0: Royal,
3: Ruveen. <laughs> Robin David Siegel. Oh, oh, snap. oh snap. Well, you know RBG which is by Betsy West and Julie hmm. Cohen does that have a chance for best doc. It has
5: a chance. It, it, I I uh, it's yeah, not tell us, tell us who's going to win. Right, right. I was I'm, I'm going to watch brothers, this. Cohen Brothers they're up for more... something. Wait, let, right? so let's back it up. Um best documentary, one of the documentaries is the RBG documentary. It's it's uh, it's an okay documentary. I mean it's it's all right. Uh I think that that's that got a solid chance. I think Free Solo is probably the yeah. one that is more likely to win. It's a it's a very very good movie. It's the sequel to Solo from <laughs> It's about this Meshuggah who likes to climb mountains without (laughs) a a, crazy story without any ropes. Yeah. And the whole time, you're like, (laughs) Yeah, not
1: Jewish at all. Oh my God. I watched (laughs) this. Although, if they used
0: the word Meshuggah in the trailer,
1: (laughs) (laughs) in a world where one Meshuggah climbs,
0: (laughs) oh, use Meshuggah as a noun. That was interesting.
5: Uh, I wouldn't do that. It was, uh, so that's probably going to win. In terms of best picture, um, Black Klansman is the only of the eight or uh, eight films that have any sort of Jewish content in it at all. Not likely to win. Also, not that good. Um, it's okay. And the uh, Jewish content is completely made up. Because the guy was not Jewish. Well, the, in the actual story of Black Klansmen is just a kernel of what a- the film right. is very much an, in, uh, an interpretation of. I do want to take event. this moment to say there's, that, there's no
3: such person that, as
1: David Duke.
3: They really <laughs> really needed. Don't a, offend him; he's listening.
0: I just want to say the Adam Goldberg thing really. I watched it the other night. Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Adam Goldberg <laughs> <laughs> would have been really good yes. at that because role. He actually. would have been good. He would have been great. Yeah. But Adam Driver, so. The point of the, Spike Lee needed a Jewish sensitivity reader to get this right, because the character, it turns out, is this kind of closeted, sort of self-loathing Jew who's like, I was never Jewish until I encountered the Klan and now I have to own my ethnicity. Yeah. Do you remember what he has to do to go deep undercover? Take off his Star of David necklace. That kind of Jew isn't also wearing a dovet around his neck. And it's like, but to Spike Lee, it's like, well, all Jews are given their necklace at birth. And no, so
3: their bar mitzvah. <laughs>
5: Well, uh, yeah. Well, it's a film's visual medium.
0: Stupid you got it.
5: It's it, the script was co-written by two Jewish guys, um, and then it uh, was rewritten by Spike and Spike's partner Kevin Wilmot. And it's a good movie. It's pretty good. It's not it's a great. B plus movie. So it's what about B+ foreign movie.
3: films? We got nothing from Israel. Yeah, this year, Israel right?
5: bombed out this year, and unfortunately, I hate to say this, uh, it, it, they were, they didn't they didn't do it this year. Israel's uh, pick this year was a movie called The Cake Maker. Which also was decent, but it was a good year. super depressing. Yeah, you saw The Cake Maker. I did. It's good. It's not great. It's good. So Japan has a wonderful movie called Shoplifters. Any Jews in that? Very f- no, we don't no. shoplift. They they own we the shops that are being right. good. Out of my store, the candy store. Um, there's also a great movie from Poland called Cold War. The guy who made Ida, uh, which was a Jewish yeah. film from few years ago, this film does not have any Jewish uh, content. It's very very good. But let me tell
1: you, I think it's one of the best movies I've seen in a, a decade. Ida's marvelous. No, no, Cold War. Oh,
5: Cold War is yeah. marvelous too. It's, it's very very good. Um, and we but, only
3: watches foreign films, <laughs>
5: but the only Polish films. The joke is that. Also a nominee for foreign film is the Mexican film Roma, which also is nominated for Best Picture. Um, And Roma might end up simply winning, not the first time this has happened, but it's the first time that it's a real contender. So Roma may end up being the Best Foreign Language winner and not the Best Picture winner, which maybe it deserves. And instead, the Best Picture winner will be probably the movie Green Book, which is not good. It's a bad movie. I don't know if you saw Green Book. I haven't gotten to that one yet. I it's saw a Four it's, of the Eights. It's, bo- it's it is a shitty movie. Yeah. It's bad. Well, Bohemian Rhapsody felt cheaply made. Bohemian Rhapsody like, is a Frankenstein movie. It's not a real movie. They couldn't find enough people to fill the concert scenes. It was so <laughs> bad. It was really like Bohemian Rhapsody is a is a work is a piece of outsider art. Like it's not even a real motion picture. First of all, it's a Shanda, a, a little bit because the original director was Brian Singer, who is a, unfortunately a Jewish man, but is now, uh, you know, he was. A, this is some me too. Google uh, it. Uh, not good. Not a good person. Right. Brian Singer. He was bumped off the project, and another fella came in and finished the movie. Uh, but legally, Brian Singer's name is on it, even though the other guy did just as much work on it. Uh, so, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is, is a movie that I think uh, the real auteur is neither Brian Singer or the other director, Dexter Fletcher. It's the deal memo that all three remaining me- uh, living members of Queen signed to make sure that their contributions to the band were given a scene to highlighted so like the bass player from Queen who gives a shit about right. this guy was like hey Roger, I just came up with this and the Another drummer's like hey but what if we use harmonies here hey right. I and exist it's yeah it's really cheesy stuff a bad movie but the music's great and the big concert at the end is great because right. Queen was great right. and also because so, yeah. they
1: remade it scene for scene from the stuff you could watch on YouTube yeah. and see it much better the Jordan, li- yeah
3: I hate to play you off yeah, yeah but we must the show must go on <laughs> I know that's not what that means. Yeah, but we should nah, everyone should follow nah. along on on Twitter, with Jordan at Jay Hoffman. Hoffman spelled the traditional way, and I'm sure you'll be you know live tweeting. Oh yeah! I'm tweeting I'll the I'll event on champagne Sunday.
5: Champagne, and it's going to be
3: great. And how do know. we find? How do we read your stuff?
5: Well, uh, my work is scattered around the internet. You can read it at the Guardian. You can read it at TV Guide. You can read it also at the Times of Israel, which is a wonderful website. It's Almost, about Lee Israel. It's <laughs> about Lee Israel. But uh, anyway, thanks for having me on, Thank and we'll you. see you again I next only time. I read your stuff at TV Guide. Just
0: Thank just you. you. I All appreciate right. it. Thanks,
3: Jordan. Awesome. Shalom. Your work on Twitter. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson in JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka who made the famous harosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodox live.
0: Last week, before heading to Israel, Liel Leibovitz, my beloved co host, hopped on the phone with Kurt Fuller. This was a terrifically fun interview to listen to. I know you're going to enjoy it as much as I did.
1: Our Jewish guest today is Kurt Fuller. Uh, He is a very famous man who all of you know. Maybe not by name, but take a minute right now, go on your iPhones. Look up his name, and then you'll say, ah, he's that guy. He's been in every great movie and TV show you can imagine. My favorites uh, are Ghostbusters 2, of course, and Wayne's World. Uh, welcome to the show, Kurt.
2: Party on Leo. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm I'm dying, like, a little bit. You should know. I'm completely... So thrilled. I appreciate that. You have, I believe, the exact number is 200. How many IMDb credits? 200 and? 201.
2: And I was hovering on 199 for a long time because it has to be a new job. So if I do something that I'd, that was recurring or I'd done before, it doesn't show up. It wasn't an easy.
1: Well, as they say in Hollywood, mazel tov. <laughs>
2: Thank you. That's how they say it.
1: You started as early as uh, Knight Rider in Cagney and Lacey territory? I did. What have been some of your favorite jobs?
2: Well, my favorite, the, one of the most favorite things I did was what got me discovered was a play called Kvetch by Stephen Burkhoff, which is appropriate <laughs> for the podcast, I think. Absolutely. And Harold Ramis came to see it three times and got me an audition for Ghostbusters 2, and that's how my career got started.
1: Probably the movie uh, that most of our listeners, I mean, the two movies that most of our listeners would would probably know best are Wayne's World and Ghostbusters Two. So you met Harold Ramis at that show. How did they tailor the role for you?
2: Harold and Dan Aykroyd had written Ghostbusters Two, and there was a part of a guy. Somebody comes in for a job interview. They're showing how ghosts are taking over the town, and his desk catches on fire, and he gets furious. And I went in to meet Ivan Reitman and I was terrified. I was selling real estate at the time. I, I was just terrified because I, I'm very insecure and you go into these auditions and it's, a, it's not like anything. You're in an office, you're not on a stage and it's just a very odd thing. And then they wrote that character out and I was told I didn't get it. And I thought, okay, well, I, I never get anything. So that doesn't surprise me. And then William Atherton, I believe was not available to play the mayor's assistant, you know, usually that means he wanted more money than they were going to give him.
1: Right. Cause he'd become famous with, uh, this man has no penis from the first movie. Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah. correct. And he's a really good actor and probably didn't want to do it for whatever. So they asked me to do it. I was very cheap. I mean, I was almost paying them. <laughs> this is something I've never said before, but I was told, I don't remember who told me that I was going to show up. Bill Murray was going to come. I was going to do a scene with Bill Murray if that went okay and Bill said yes, I would stay. If not, I would be taken to the airport and flown home.
1: But no pressure.
2: Yeah, but but relax and enjoy it Kurt. And somehow I got through it, and uh, the rest is uh, is infamy, as they say.
1: Here's something that, that I thought about, sort of like looking through the list of all these amazing characters you have done. Is there ever a moment in which you say, I can't believe I have to walk away from this creation that I've put so much of myself into?
2: That has happened so many times that I can't even tell you. And it's tragic. If you do a show and you do it over a period of time, if you do a, I've done eight on the air series, television series, and then also psych where I was not a regular, but did 50 episodes or something. Right. Sometimes you can't wait to get away. Okay. That is the truth. The people don't get along. The material's not that good, but more often than not, one tends to 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 fall in love with not only the character they play, but the people that you're working with. And I've had series get canceled, uh, and they usually cancel them on a Friday at six o'clock. that's that's when they cancel them. <laughs> and i've been in I've gone to bed for two weeks, basically. I mean, not to be overly dramatic. I mean, I am. No, an
1: I totally, actor, I totally get that. It's like I, because life severed. I, I've
2: lost my fan. I've lost my my family. For people listening who are not in show business, you change jobs or move. It's usually a powerful thing in your life. Well, in show business, usually we're on location, so we're moving, and we're saying goodbye to people that we're close to. Every three months sometimes, or every two years, it, it happens over and over and over again. You get very close to people when you're working with them, but now I know it's not going to last. <laughs> but that's just the way it is in our business.
1: That's one thing that I, I absolutely cannot begin to fathom. That and, and how you don't fall in love, literally, I mean, with every person who's like in your vicinity. It's such an emotional, intense environment. Yes.
2: Usually, except with the exception of, us character actors, the men are so handsome and the women are so beautiful. And usually, I find actors really to be some of the most well-read, most intelligent, and compelling people that I can meet. And I also find them to be some of the most egotistical and and myopic and self-aware people. That comes with the territory too. It's very easy, but it's also if you're sane, you compartmentalize. And if you know, even I who have had I usually have scenes where I kill the girl, but I also have had scenes where I kiss the girl. And for those moments, you have to be in love. You have to, or whatever your character is, you have to go there. And I just did a show where it was the first time on film that I I kissed a man and it was a passionate kiss. And he said to me, you've probably never kissed a man before. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's actually true like that yeah and he said but you seemed you didn't see i thought you were going to be uncomfortable and i said no because in that moment i loved you it was the easiest thing in the world
1: i gotta tell you it's a, it's a superpower to me i'm I'm so amazed by it yeah is there any role that you look back uh, and say i really should have taken that or i really should have gotten that that you just turned away or like missed by a by a hairbreadth
2: yes 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 Julia louis Dreyfus's chief of staff in Veep. It came down between me, he doesn't even know this, and he's a good guy in a friend. me, and Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn got it. I never said anything to him, but I have regretted it. I see it all the time. He's so good, it's so good, she's so great. She's just a protean talent, and to work with her would have been fantastic, but it, it didn't happen. Yeah. And everything Brad Pitt's done, and so I've always been second He's him. He's uh, blocked me. <laughs>
1: Being that guy, being the person who everybody knows, who's been in so many great things and created so many great roles, and yet if someone said, what's what's his name? You know, it may take people a, a Google search or two. Oh, yes. Does that free you up to just, you know, focus and doing the work? Or do you sometimes come home and say, there are kids out there who have been in like one and a half movies and everybody knows their names. You know, people don't know my name.
2: That does not bother me at all because... I never thought I was ever going to make a living as an actor. So the fact that I'm making a living and to anybody out there, any actor who is making a living, it is a miracle. It is a miracle because every job you go through, there's a thousand people up for it in one way or another. The hard thing about it is because no one knows my name, no matter where I go, people come up and go, why do I know you? Why do I know you? They don't go, hey, Kurt, how are you? It's literally I literally have to go through my resume with people 20 times a day. No, no, you know, you, you, I don't I don't work at this restaurant. I'm an actor. And they go, no, that's not it. No, you're not. No, that's not <laughs> it. it goes on and on. And so it's actually a lot of work to, to, to be that guy because you have to explain who you are to everybody.
1: I'm flying to Israel in, in a few hours, just in a personal note. I, I, I'm just debating which one of your movies I'm going to watch on your plane. Which one should I? What's, what's your favorite, the kind of deep-cut Kurt Fuller? Deep-cut
2: Kurt Fuller. All right, this is an edgy movie. I don't have a huge role in it, but it's one of the great cult movies of all time and always shows up on the, the great one, you know, top five movies about the end of the world called Miracle Mile.
1: Miracle Mile. Why is that so familiar to me?
2: See, it's a VAT movie. Yeah. You've read about it. You've heard about it. it. stars Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham. It was made 30 years ago, and it's absolutely mesmerizing.
1: All right. Well, I know what my in-flight entertainment is. Kurt Fuller, I, I want to conclude this conversation by anointing you an Orthodox's official that guy. Oh, uh, my God. Which comes with whatever privileges... Uh, you would damn like from from our humble podcast.
2: Well, I think it's going to be uh, better seats in restaurants and bars,
1: uh, or kosher delis, or or you know, kosher in, in delis, shop.
2: which there are two down the street. Thank you, sir. I, I cannot thank you enough. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: mazel tovs. Stephanie Botnick, do you have a mazel tov this I week? I have a
3: major carb-filled mazel tub to listener... Wait, carb-filled? Carb-filled. Okay. Bagel sniffing. Mazel tub to Alexander <laughs> Lucenhop. He had a Boston-area bagel bra- bracket brunch birthday party, and they brought in bagels from 12 locations and did this, like, insane blind taste test, and they wrote about it in our Facebook group, and I just want to say happy birthday. My dream cake is just a bunch of bagels with, like, candles stuck in them.
1: That's all you need. We can do that for you.
0: Liel, do you have a mazel tov?
1: I do. To Chuka Umuna, Luciana Berger, Chris Leslie, Angela Smith, Mike Gapes, and Coffee and Gavin Shuker, seven members of parliament who this week had the courage to step up and leave the Labour Party and go on their own way.
0: Um, I have a tripartite uh mazel tov shout out festivus You know right what they
3: now. say, one Jew, three mazel tovs. Three mazel
0: tovs. Uh, the first is that Two of our previous guests are combining forces for what promises to be an extraordinary concert. Ladino songstress Sarah Aresti, Sarah Oresti, is going to be singing her stuff along with Yiddish songster Anthony Mordechai Tsvi Russell. They're doing diaspora songs, Yiddish Meets Ladino. It's at the Marlene Meyerson Jewish Community Center Thursday, March 28th at 7.30pm. I really am going to try to be there. But certainly, Together they have eight names. Yeah, it's it's everyone in the tri-state or quad-state area. She, I mean, that's going to be really, she's one of the great Ladino singers, he's one of the great Yiddish singers that they're together. Uh, that's going to be just amazing. So March 28th at the JCC. Also uh, deserving a shout out is our Jubador, Jim Nabel, who is playing this Saturday night at Freddy's Bar and Backroom in Brooklyn at 8.30. You can find out more at freddysbar.com slash events slash jim hyphen Nabel. Now, speaking Speaking of Jim Nable, my third mazel tov is to our listener, Carrie Gottlieb, who uh, performed the wedding of his daughter, Hannah Gottlieb, when she was marrying her partner, Lauren Hill. This was earlier this year. Carrie officiated with his wife, Carol, and Bubby was the witness. Uh, Leonard Cohen was quoted in the service. And I heard about this and I wanted to give a mazel tov to Hannah Gottlieb. And then I thought, wait. Why don't we do something special? So I called the Jubidor, Jim Nabel, and I said, Would you do a song for Hannah Gottlieb and Lauren Hill and their mom and their dad and their Bubby and this huge, huge simcha? And so here, right before the closing credits, we are going to play for you Jim Nabel's tribute to the wedding of Hannah Gottlieb and Lauren Hill. is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the internet at tabletmag.com. You can ask for our newsletter by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Put newsletter in the subject line. We often come to you live to book us or advertise with us. Email producer Josh Cross, that's Cross with a K, at jcross at tabletmag.com. Of course, you need to wear and carry Unorthodox with you at all times. Hit up bit.ly slash unorthoshirt Find the latest in unorthodox shirts, mugs, and onesies. No baby should ever be taken out of the house without wearing unorthodox around his little body or her little body. Follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross. Our associate producers are Shira Talushkin and Noah Levinson. Our editor is Sophia Steinert-Evoy. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. And our social media intern is Elazar Abrams. Our theme music is by Golem online at golemrocks.com. And our mailbox theme is by one Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Jody Gordon of the Hevra in the Berkshires. Leah Leibowitz encountered you in Eretz Yisrael and really, really thought highly of you. We come to you from Argo Studios, which is the key grip, the gaffer, and the best boy all rolled into one. Shalom, friends.